I'm Vic Cohen, and it's a fair question. It's a fair question. It's a fair question. I'm Vic Cohen, and it's a fair question. It's a fair, it's a fair, it's a fair, it's a fair question. I'm Vic Cohen, and it's a fair, it's a fair, it's a fair, it's a fair quest, quest, quest. Hello, and welcome to Vic Cohen's It's a Fair Question. You're listening to us live from beautiful, stunning, just uh, glimmering downtown Los Angeles's Skid Row Studios. It's my are, home. It's yeah. My, I feel like I'm at home in Skid Row. You, that, you do look very comfortable here. Well, it's it's the tent outside. I have with us a really good friend and a very funny guy. Uh, he's done stand-up on Letterman, Carson, and it's amazing. The people he's worked with, uh, let me, incredible, I'll tell you, Steve Martin, Woody Allen. Mm, yeah. Well. Vic Cohen. Yes. Vic. That's right. Victor Cohen. Yes. You went by Victor when I knew you back That's then. That's right. Yes, and right. that was a great time. We did stand up. Uh, Steve brought me out to Reno where mm. we did stand up at the Catch a Rising Star. At the Reno. I remember the GM going, could you guys be funny tonight? <laughs> it was a rough few days. <laughs> there, we had crowd. some great shows, but, yeah. but it was up and down. Even you know? the bowlers were like. I don't get these guys. They were bowled over for yeah. a few parts, Very but not nice. the whole night. Yeah. Very nice. Well, his, just in case you don't recognize the name, it, or the voice, excuse me, the name is Steve Middleman. He is our guest. Thank you, Steve, for coming here. You're very welcome. It's Thank so you. great to have you uh, here downtown. Uh, and before we go like any further, I just do need to ask you, uh, Woody Allen, you worked with Woody Allen. Now, some people say that and they were an extra. You know, like, oh, I worked with Woody Allen. Well, I want to say that's an unfair question. No, I really <laughs> did work with him. I did about two weeks on Radio Days. I, I was Herbie Hansen, radio comedian. That was your it's character? Perfect, yeah. And and uh, Mia Farrow was hired as a shill to laugh at Herbie Hansen okay. with a few other shills. So he, he so was Mia destined was playing to bomb. A, she was playing a character in the film. Imagine two like 200 people in the audience, all extras, a dozen, uh, like a big band with HH for Herbie Hansen. Mm-hmm. The announcer comes on. It's all set up for Herbie to bomb. Remember, mm-hmm. life is short and death is forever. And now here's Herbie. And I come out and you'd have like a smattering mm-hmm. of applause. And, you know, and then like, I want to tell you, it was like Bob. Do you Hope. remember the lines? I remember Isn't a little it, bit. Yeah. That was how did it start? I want to tell you, folks, the traffic on the way here on 46th. It's, it was so crowded. It was like a parking lot. And, you'd, and then you'd hear, huh? You know, like nothing. You <laughs> was know. that the joke? It You're was like a parking be, like, lot? So bad, yeah. Yeah, that's everything. there's no joke. There. And Woody, <laughs> it does an amazing thing. What he does is he lets you do his lines, ad lib all you want. Do his lines, ad lib all you want. So were you doing bad jokes that you'd come up with as yeah, well? I thought of stuff because you have time to figure out the script a little bit. And, um, did he I, did he laugh when you perform? At your I had him laugh when I auditioned for him. Okay, let's start. With, yeah, how did you even terrified? How did this even happen? Commercial agent submitted me. I was moving to L.A. They said we like him, have him come so in. you're living meet, in New York. Meet Woody. Yeah, I had to just meet Woody, talk with him. And now, what I was did you getting what, ready to move to L.A. What did you think when your agent called just about that? I was floored. Floored. I mean, was this a top commercial agent in town? Yeah, it was a good one. Yeah, okay. good agent. But still, that's so on. That's not how people Amazing. get cast. Or yeah, no, not at all. Were they doing theatrical work too? They they, the agent? A, they did put both? out a feeler, I'm sure. And they said, okay, this he might fit. Let's get his picture out. And that was it. So I meet him, and he goes, uh, well, we start on November 4th. And I said, oh, that's a great omen. That's my birthday. And uh, then I say, referring to Broadway Danny Rose, the movie and the character he played, I said, well, I'll have to start practicing my three S's, which is what he would say to his clients, like strong, smile, star, I think, something like that. Uh So I said, I'll start practicing my three S's. And I got Woody Allen to laugh. 
And then all his underlings and casting people were laughing. Mm-hmm. So it was like a great omen and, you know, I got it. So That's great. And then, so how much time was there between the casting and then the shooting? Uh, I'd say, you know, six weeks or something. Was there a lot of anxiety those six weeks? Oh, it was exciting, you know. In the same year, I worked with Steve Martin, like well, a year on. later. That Roxanne. was in Roxanne, right? Roxanne, yeah. Okay. But he didn't direct you, is that right? No, Fred Skepsi directed okay. that Australian guy, great guy. But getting back to Woody, so you had six weeks to prepare. Did you guys have uh, rehearsal times together with Woody, or no, you showed not up? Not at all. Here's your script. It we'll feels you like weeks. something come from from the gods to get a script from pieces. You, you only get your side. That's true. I've heard that. So it is Woody. true. Okay. Yes, and I couldn't get. Yeah. How many takes did you guys do? Well, a nice thing is we. I thought I had done a pretty good job, and he was very happy with it. And he goes, okay, we're wrapping up. And I asked the guy who was the announcer, I said, no, I think I have more. He says, go over, tell Woody you have more. I go, I was too nervous. I was like, Woody to Woody. I'm going, I, 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 I think I have more. And he, and he looks me at me and imagine this. He goes, we'll do as many takes as you'd like. Which is, oh my God. How many takes did you do? Oh, that was it. No, that was the setup. Now, That's an unfair question. No, as we didn't, I, I can't remember that. Now, in the audition process, did it come down to like between you and one other person? Or, do you, or like were there Never callbacks? Found out. Never found were out. Were there callbacks? Uh, yeah, I had read I read for a couple of things. I read for him again, and I was terrified reading for him. And You read uh, for him a second time? Yeah. And after he said, you made him laugh? Yes. And he said, I understand these, these cold readings could be nerve-wracking. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they were, you know, for Woody Allen, yeah. Right. And then and then, how quickly after that second audition did you get the call? I got, I mean, I kind of knew they, they implied. Oh, really? Inferred, is it inferred or implied? Oh, let's go with both. Okay. And who was the first person you called? Oh, if I had a girlfriend at the time, yeah, I so did. You don't remember? Do, probably do you, had called her. Describe that feeling. Uh, she probably, and I was just an amazing, it's an amazing feeling well, to get a Woody say, Allen movie. Yeah. And, and, and by the way, it's cut from the film. I'm in it just visually. Oh, okay. Well, at least you're in it. Yes. You know You know what you haven't seen? I've done like 50 commercials. Yeah. 50. Five zero. Five zero. Oh, that's a lot. Right. But were there any that, that were like Ronald McDonald where you could live on forever? Like the money was so good? Uh, you know something? Hmm. I did very well from commercials. I'm, yeah. I'm vested. I have a pension. I know I did a few movies and sitcom appearances, but... I'm sure a chunk of that pension is because of commercials. Do you consider yourself and what? Lucky? No. I know the answer to that. (laughs) (laughs) No. Do you consider uh, yourself more of a stand-up comic or an actor? More of a stand-up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love stand-up and I still love it. 20, 37 years now. It just added 10 years as I was (laughs) saying that. Uh, But yeah, stand-up by far. Love it. Have you always known you wanted to do stand-up? In my teens, I wanted to be in radio. That's uh-huh. why I'm so much... I'm at home here in that, Skid Row. That's pretty good. Yes. I mean, for that... Top fake. 40. You say it. We played all the hits all the time. I'm going to throw up. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> you do do it well. 40. I love that guy. Hey, that was me. Did you ever or do I radio? Me. I did it in school. And uh, our school radio station, Brockport, upstate New York. It was, the signal was so weak, we couldn't even hear ourselves. Is that true? Yes, it was that bad. I bet on station. Like yeah, that. I know. So I loved it. And then I lost my show on the school radio station. It was uh-huh. my major. And this was just 10 years ago. Yes. He's a very uh, 30 older, or so, 20 yeah. year senior or whatever. No, the school, Malcolm Lowry, I hate him, the bastard. Uh, he was the GM mm. in the school radio station and he was a student. 
and he gave my show to a friend of his who was coming back to school who had already been a professional DJ on Long Island. Oh, okay. that's the So I said, why does he need it? I'm the guy that's never done it. I transferred here to do this. And right. you're, and there was a big to-do, and, and I brought up a stink, and they could, he could have been voted out, but everybody was afraid to vote against the GM because then they'd lose their shows. Mm-hmm. So I lost my show, and I went, screw it. I love comedy. I'm doing comedy. That's what happened. Now, you've done over 90 TV stand-up appearances. At least, yeah. That's crazy. That's a lot of TV. I know. You know the nicest feeling I get? Not from you. Mm, good. I'm uh, not trying. To. Yeah. I want to give you good feelings. Uh, thank you. But the nicest thing, sometimes, out of all the comedians out there, all of them, mm-hmm. somebody will come up to me and go, who the hell do you think you are? No. They come up to me and they say, you're my favorite comedian. It's the greatest feeling. You still get have. that. From like from like people Once who knew you. I mean, yeah, not yeah, to go. Oh my God, Steve Middleman. Because there was a point in your career where you were like on there were or, there weren't that many outlets for comics, and you were that you were, were right no in gigs. the middle of it. When I started, there was uh, there were maybe two places in uh, the rainy night house in Queens, which coincidentally was about a a block or two from where I grew up, and Mustache Pete's in Jersey. It was the mm. first two gigs, and they were so god awful. <laughs> but there were no other gigs, and you went. It was a big. Deal. How old were you? Well, I started when I was twenty-one, literally December sixteenth, nineteen seventy-six. The summer before, I auditioned a little bit. I got passed in the clubs, but I was going back to school, University of Buffalo. I transferred from Brockport to Buffalo, and believe it or not, I studied Tolstoy. That's how liberal University of Buffalo was at a Tolstoy major. That was your major? Yeah, my dad had a stroke. When he saw that, was your major? Yes. <laughs> and uh, I never felt, <laughs> forgave myself. And Social Security... Did he really have a stroke? Yes. Social Security said, if you have 12 credits, register... I was going to I was gonna quit school. They said, if you have 12 credits, you'll get like $160, $180 a month because you're a dependent of somebody who's disabled. Okay. So I said to the people at University of Buffalo where I was a Tolstoy major, I said, well, is there any way I could do 12 credits on the road and I'm in New York and I'm going to do stand-up comedy? And they said, I'll tell you, we'll tell you what, that a professor like, okay it. They said, you'll do 12 credits, 12 credits of writing your stand-up. You'll mail it to us He'll tell us how it's going, and we'll grade your stand-up. That's writing. great. And for that, I had like nine months of a, like a comedy grant from wow. our, from our government. That's fantastic. And actually. that's that got me going. I got a small. I stayed with my sister, moved in with her boyfriend. I basically had her apartment, which was walking distance from Catch and the comic strip in New York. And then I had a roommate. I got a studio apartment, and I split a studio. With various performers, it was two twenty five a month. I couldn't couldn't afford that. Who are you living with? Uh, Anyone rock, we know now? Well, a guy who became kind of very well known in a rock world is uh, um, Pat Benatar. Started a catch. She brilliant voice, but she did all these torchy songs. 
He was doing stand-up? Uh, no, they would sing, have singers every few acts. Oh, okay. singer. And you know you're a great singer at Catch if people didn't talk during the songs. Mm -hmm. And she would, everybody would stop and go crazy. So her bass player, Roger Caps, he was my roommate for a while. Uh, this comedian, Andy, I'm blanking on his name, reminds me of George Costanza. He was my roommate for a while. And I just split this studio. It's crazy. Now, do you remember your very first joke that you felt was really great that the audience responded to? Yes. Uh, my first time on stage, I killed. Because I did it, it was a speech class. And it was oral and terp, and it was potluck, whatever you want. And it was a final project. And by then, everybody knew me and liked me in my class. And I just killed. I did five minutes, and I just, I killed. Because they were so nice. But mm -hmm. then one time, I did the rat skeller. That was like, I don't know. The what? The rat skeller, the school bar. Okay. Uh, upstate <laughs> Brockport again and I bombed for four minutes and then the fifth minute I did a Nixon routine and I killed hmm. but that four minutes I can still remember how terrifying that didn't was. stop you didn't stop me I had to finish you know and I did the Richard Nixon routine mm -hmm. and uh, <laughs> I'm dreaming of a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant Christmas <laughs> just like the ones I used to know with no kikes or kooks or guineas, no niger spikes or mickeys, just pat the girls and baby rebozo. It's my party, and if I cry if I want to. Anyway, there's it's Nixon's just crazy. It's so why it's like the fact that you yeah. even were in front of an audience where that would be current. I mean, it's a lot. That was nineteen seventy. It's amazing. Five huh? or something, or early seventy six. Yeah. And uh, you know, this is like not far after Watergate, and you know, we were hippies. In the mid-70s even. So a couple things I just want to follow up on. Yeah. We were talking about commercials, and I want to backtrack for just a moment. What's yeah. the most you ever made on a commercial? And that is a fair question. God. Um, 100 grand? I bet you 30, 40. Not, not as much as you think. But those were back then. This isn't recently, right? Mm, uh, no, after we had this big strike about... 12 years ago, mm -hmm. and it was 15 years ago, something like that. Right. And uh, you, I remember. Yeah, it wasn't great. Uh, we ended up, after months... The strike uh, actually hurt yes, actors, and it's never recovered. Never recovered. Because what happened was, yeah. the actors for com commercial actors wanted more money, mm -hmm. and uh, the producers or the other side of the table said no, and they discovered these other people, these producers, that they could use non-union workers and pay them even less. Not just that. What they did is they farmed out a lot of a lot of the production out of state. They taped out of state or out of city. And they also had they developed a way to bulk pay you. Where you used to pay get you know per airing you'd get a residual mm -hmm. benefit. And then now you got like from one to five viewings, five to ten viewings, they it was diminishing returns. They just did. They had all these months to figure out how can we screw the actors. So, bottom so, line is that so you, this I, is was, before all that when the money was better. Is that what you're I saying? think it was better at one time. Okay, yeah. but the most you made was maybe thirty or forty grand. Probably out of commerce. So one did for like one day of work. So yeah, yeah, sure, I did it. Name a product I probably did. I did like four of them for Federal Express, which was great, mm -hmm. and that's kind of what, what launched me. My first audition, I was so bad. 
it was like some fancy advertising agency in New York. And I was so bad, the talent person looked at me and said, is this your first audition? <laughs> and it was like, oh, my God. So, And then I landed my second one. Wow. And the guy loved me. It was Joe Settlemeyer and Patrick Kelly. Patrick Chicago? Kelly, they moved. They were doing New York. Patrick Kelly okay. went to New York. And he co copied Joe Settlemeyer's sty style. Mm. And he booked me like seven times. And because um, Steve uh, has a unusual look, and back particularly then, uh, you it was even more unusual. So you were very character-y. I more so. help it. I used to, once in a while in my life, you know, like, should I go into stand-up or not? There were a few times in my life where people literally pointed at me and started laughing without yeah. my saying it. We're just in public, not on stage. Well, let me, let's get right to this. Um, it's what a life. Well, here's the deal. Um, yeah. That I, was the maternity ward nurse. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I have... Um, just to give you a sense of Steve and his comedy, why don't we um, play a little clip? Can we go to that first clip, please, Jeremy? And this is, uh, before you roll it, Jeremy, just one second. I just want to set this up, that this is from a show that you say, Steve, turned your whole career around. Oh, it launched me. And can you set that up as to where this was and why it was so important to you? It was at the Copa, where uh, we, Scorsese no, uh, seriously. videotaped the, uh, or taped uh, from Goodfellas. Is this and, true? Yeah, that's, well, that's the club, the Copacabana in the midtown Manhattan. Just okay. Big time. Their cameras were there? Showtime? Well, showtime, yeah. It's this big laugh-off. I didn't, I auditioned. What's the big laugh-off? What does that mean? It was a big competition among nationwide comedians. It was in televised? Each city, yeah, yeah. And it was on a million times on Showtime. Uh-huh. Uh, and it was, I didn't get it. It tells you being persistent. I didn't even get through the auditions. And something happened where I was able to sneak into another audition. And after being rejected once, I got accepted. And then I kept making the cut and making the cut. And make, then I got to the finals. And that was the TV show. And you won. And I won. I On that show was Eddie Murphy, uh, Schiff, Mark Schiff, Carol Liefer, Rick Overton, and myself. I closed. I killed. And uh, from there, it launched me. As and Rick Overton, we've had as a guest on the show. He's a great so, guy. So, uh, yeah, Wonderful. for those of you who uh, want to hear uh, that interview with Rick, it's Rick Overton. I don't remember what episode it is, but it's right in the iTunes library there. Um, so this is from this is from that that um, set, that comedy that, set. It was about yeah. a 10 or 12-minute set. You're not going like to show, play the whole clip. We're gonna, no, we're going to play part of it. It's a very short part. Let's go with that first clip. Sex this year. No, I'm only kidding. Uh, I paid the guy. You notice some people's sex is everything? To me, sex is anything. Most guys think about having sex with two girls at once. For me, it's one girl, twice. So listening to that, you kind of come across as the lovable loser. Yeah, self self deprecating. Is that yeah. is that your style today? No, just sort of how we are right now. I'm just me. Okay, were you you then? I was because I probably related to the self deprecating. I felt that way about myself. Do you still feel that way about yourself, Doctor? That's all the time we have. <laughs> no, now you're avoiding me. Um, 
Is that uncomfortable to talk about? No, I don't feel that way about myself. No, I feel like I'm a child. I'm a, I am God. That's a big turnaround. That's a, that's a 180. How do you really feel, honestly? I'm God. I don't believe that. That I'm God? I don't, I think that you're, and it's okay that you're not really, you're kind of not wanting to go there. No, 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 no. I don't feel that way uh, about myself today. I don't, I don't like doing, once in a while it's fun, poke, I think life is, if I have a sense of humor about myself, I find the irony in the world and in my world, and I don't think that's not, that was a bulk of me and how I viewed the world back then. And I, I don't feel that way about myself today. And how did you feel about yourself back then? Oh, I was... This is 1981. You're 22, 23. I don't know. You're in your 20s. 20, 1981, I was 25. Well, I was 25. I was 1980. Yeah. Okay. How, I mean, who uh, were you then in your head? I was very kind of naive about the world. I was very remarkably shy for somebody on stage. I hardly had a girlfriend till I was, I don't think I maybe kissed a girl till I was 20, 21. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> I never got any of the emotional vitamins anybody would ever need from zero to the second I stand, stood on stage. Nothing. Very little love. Screaming, maniac, maniacal parents. I always describe my parents. Remember the Waltons? We were the anti-Waltons. Mm. There was screaming. There was beatings. There were yelling to the point where you break down and cry. And over and over and over again, I was broken. It was like, oh, it was like, what do they call that? When you, war, post-war, traumatic. PTSD? Yes. Do you still have it? No, I don't think so. How did uh, you get through it? Lots of therapy. Lots of therapy. A humongous amount of therapy. Do you think that perhaps, you know, uh, for a stand-up comic, the life is tough? It no, really I is. Don't, I don't think so. Okay, well, yeah. just go along with me on this for a moment. I would say there are challenges at times with for a comic yeah. that aren't easy. Now, you may disagree, and that's why you do it for you. I've talked to other comics who have a different feeling, and that's okay. Yeah. My premise is, I'll just get to the headline, is that I think when you have such a tough life as a child, your tolerance to pain is so high that what others would consider to be painful, you don't necessarily. That's a nice point. Because you're so used to it. And mm. actually, it's less painful than what you went through as a child. So in comparison, it's actually peaceful. Yeah, I have a lot of, I have a lot more peace in my life now for a long time. Who was doing perspective. the, who was doing the beating? Uh, mom, physically, dad, verbally. And, and my brother and sister, they, we all get along great. I'm so lucky. What, what were, great. what were reasons that you would be getting, what would be something your dad would say? Like if you, is there, are there, are there things that go through your head still, his voice? Uh, I, don't remember, I remember him yelling that I was stupid and slamming the door. I don't remember what I, because I was basically a good kid. I don't think I was a, you know, if I showed up late for a meal, you know, I'm sure <coughs> parents, uh, you know, maybe get nervous or something. I don't know, but I can't think of much much else. I don't think what mischief I did back then. They were like, my mom was Mo, you know? And the Three Stooges. Yeah, my mom was Mo without the humor. My parents together <laughs> basically were the Costanzas without the humor. Although my dad was very funny. I think I got my sense of humor from my dad. And my family, we could laugh. At, you know, the other side of it is 
comedy tragedy. You know, there was some lots laughs too. So, so it is see, like I I feel like laughter is love. Yes. in my life. Yeah, that's nice. and I think as a child, well, I, I certainly didn't have that kind of tumultuous situation that you're describing. Yeah. I will say that the greatest moments of love were through laughter. Yeah, <laughs> I think it was the most. I think bonding. I think uh, I don't remember getting a hug till I was in therapy, and at the end of the first session, um, Alan Lefkowitz, the shrink, hugged me, and I was like, it brought up <laughs> such a uh, an an avalanche of pain because I went, oh my god, that's a hug. I didn't know what it was. And how old were you? Forty. No, no. I was twenty. Probably twenty-two, twenty-three, maybe. <coughs> yeah. So we—it was a domino effect. I forget who was first. Either who went to him, who went to Alan's Bell. I mean, Alan Lefkowitz. Either it was why Bell went first, or maybe Richard Lewis, who told Larry David, who told John DeBellis, who told me. The same so, therapist. He's had about 150, 200 comics in the last... We're still friends. What's his name? Alan Lefkowitz. He's in New York. And he's still doing Apple it? West Side, yeah. Great guy. Wonderful. And <laughs> that's that's really funny. Yeah, yeah. He's had a million comics. Not just comics, but he's... Now, how does it feel? I'm just curious. Like, you've got... Um, oh, but wait. Before I move forward, though, I do want to kind of wrap this part up. The sense of serenity that you have as a man I do in life further along in life pretty much yeah um how do you deal with the voices have they left or what tools have you learned to handle that and I think diminishing uh, uh life uh, perspective choosing to have a nice easier attitude about life uh, knowing uh, you won't get the hug from the audience. You don't need it anymore. You got to give it to yourself. Um, Is that why you got in stand-up for a hug? Yes. How quick was that answer? That's a fair question. It After everything question. I just said. Um, yeah, I'm sure I, I went for the love. I loved it. It was addicting. It's still addictive. I still love stand-up. Mm -hmm. Still love it. What is it you love about it? Well, right now it's it's to say something clever or write something clever and and bingo. You get an immediate feedback, usually, you know, as long as you're writing it and you're getting on stage soon after that. How do you deal with, how do you deal with uh, rejection even today? Let's say. Next. Have you ever bombed? Next. You or know. Bombing subjective anyways. See, I'll, I'll tell you. No, it's not. You um, don't think so? No. If, if everybody else can smell it, you bombed. Pretty much. So how do you handle that? Next. I'll tell you why. Because if I, it's like a, an actor gets an audition and they haven't auditioned in a while and they put everything into this audition there's every word every nuance well, God bless them for preparation like that and then they do it and they leave and they go beat themselves up like oh I didn't get it I didn't nail it oh my god I didn't get it and everything is on that moment in that audition everything because they're not doing it much they're just mm -hmm. having that one audition a month or every other month. Such a so great point. So everything's played up. You are so, so right. So if you audition, all, if you're performing all the time, even a number of times a month, and you've done this enough, uh, you know, I've done thousands of shows, I can't go and look at, it's like a little 
flake of snow with, with a million other flakes coming But conversely, out. though, Steve, if you can write that off as whatever mm -hmm. next, when you do kill, shouldn't there also be a sense of kind of like next? Because if we live too much in the high of the success, isn't it setting us up for when things don't go the way we'd like is to be a bigger fall, a bigger disappointment? Uh, well, you want to celebrate the highs. You want to learn from the lows. So you can learn from each. Mm -hmm. Is every A comic can get on stage, kill, and go, oh, I could have put that there. Oh, I could invert it. Sometimes you are, your setup is your punchline, and your punchline is your setup. You go, oh, I could have switched that. I mean, I read it all the time on Facebook. Somebody write, right. I said, oh, man, they put an extra word here and there. It's such a touchy little... Are you a wordsmith? I try. No, I don't have a brilliant vocabulary. When I say wordsmith, I'm not thinking about necessarily vocabulary. I'm talking about placement of every word. You, yeah. I, um, There's less or more. Less is more is true for most. I did. Um, not for all. Okay. Yeah, the, yeah I, I know. J rules in comedy are tough because there sure. always can be examples of where that yeah. rule doesn't apply. I did some writing for Joan Rivers for her stand-up act. Mm -hmm. And to do that, I studied her stand-up. I would transcribe yeah. her act. You talk about a uh, person who uses so few words. Try. Would ever yeah. like transcribe it? It's incredible. Yeah, it, it concises uh, for that type of one-line person. Concise? How you can't be concise? Yeah. Somebody, we were doing this. Uh, brevity is the soul of uh, somebody. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, I saw uh, that. Uh, that was Brogan, Brogan put that yeah, on great. Facebook today. Yeah, it was funny. Somebody else. Well, tell us what. Tell them everyone what we're talking about. Do you remember? Well, this drunk woman comes over to him after the show and says, uh, something like, "Well, it's you, true what they say. It's truly what they say that there's the the fewer the words, the quicker, <laughs> the better it is for the punchline, and that's the soul of wit." Right. And and he goes. Yeah, you mean brevity is the soul of what? <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, that's what I. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, but uh, this Stu Trivex had the greatest two-letter punchline you could ever imagine, and he had like my old character that you were playing. Yes, I went from that complete self-deprecating guy uh, on my friend, our friend Tom Stern's advice years ago. He said, "Well." You're playing the loser. Play the loser who acts like a winner. Mm -hmm. You know, like okay. I used to say, uh, I know what you're thinking. Why did this guy go into comedy? It was funny. It got good laughs. Well, it's funny because you looked funny. Yes. And then I would change it. I flipped it upside down. I went, I know what you're thinking. Why did this guy go into comedy? Mm -hmm. Instead of, I used to be a male model. I modeled socks on the radio. I used to be a male model. I modeled socks on their radio. Mm -hmm. Okay, it was, everything was a brag. Right. This, okay, so getting to true, uh, Stu Trivax and brevity, he said uh, he had the same type of character. It's like a loser who acted like a ladies' man. Mm -hmm. He says, uh, you know what I like in a woman? Me. I figured, I, but I could see that comment. I already set it up with the two-letter punchline, too. And I said that's, that. that's true, you did. But it's like perfect. Yeah, Brevity. Yeah. Love it. Now, you mentioned Eddie Murphy was a competitor in this thing yeah, you did, that yeah. you actually won. And I know he, you've worked with a lot of comics yeah. who are, today we call them like A-listers. They're multi-zillionaires. So many of them. 
fast. So I'm curious how how do you handle that? Um, you've had your successes, but so few people this, have had that kind of success. This mega jealousy. <laughs> well, uh, no, no, I'll tell I mean, you, it is, is a fair question, and I wonder how that must be because it's not as if you've been doing shabby. No, I mean the accolades are there and the credits are there, and and I've made a living. Thank God. To make a living at this, and this is what I love to do, is a nice combo. So you look at that as the reward in itself. Well, it's not a bad place to be. I agree. I mean, I want a bigger... Um, I'll get a little deeper in a second. But if if I look at, is Larry David or Seinfeld $800 million, are they $800 million better than I am? No, not at all. I was joking with somebody else recently. I said, if Larry won a lottery and he won $300 million, that would like that would be like, oh, okay. You know, he wouldn't go have to go crazy over that. It wouldn't be what kind There'd of... There'd be death? no jealousy. Yeah, he wouldn't be... Right? You wouldn't... No one would feel envy because it was, well, it was sheer luck. Relative to that. Yeah, anyway, but a, a remar they're remarkably talented. I think there is a an aspect to the business of right place, right time, right management does help. I was ne <laughs> never great at that. Never great at that. And I think my core issue in life, which I'm owning even to this day in this last few days, is a feeling feeling my power. Explain that. Feeling my power to say, hey, I can, I can be as great as any one of these people. There's nobody I started with that really that are that much better than I am. Hundreds and hundreds of millions better than I am, you know. I mean, right. God bless them. Right? I'm happy for their success, but I could have that too. So you know, it's about owning my power, and I've recoiled from it. When you grow up the way I grew up, I don't think I had whatever ego I needed to seek out that success that way. I think, like Leno. Mm -hmm. Leno, maybe there were more functional settings for people grow other comics growing up. Uh, but I, I, I feel his hunger for success was enormous. He kind of owned his power as much of it as he could possibly own. Mm -hmm. I don't like the guy. I think as a club comedian, he's brilliant. As a talk show host, he's despicable. I think as a person, he's pretty despicable. Well, that's a big thing to be saying. Uh, not not really. It's well, because opinion. he doesn't have a show anymore? I mean, I'm saying like oh, from no, a power, no, no. like I he said, is a... I said it before. I said it because I'll tell you, I love who what we are, comedians. Mm -hmm. I love it. And to me, what... And I'll get back to owning power in a second. Yeah, I want to hear it. Yeah. And there's a lot of power in stand-up, remarkable amount. As much as the hug, there's a lot of power in that. Um, but when you're in a position that Leno was in, to he could have put on two comics a week. He was literally launched by doing mainly a million shows and then being every six weeks or whatever. You're talking about Johnny Carson. He was, oh yeah, yeah, but... Leno was launched on Letterman, too, in the mid-'80s. Oh, okay. Uh, right. Something like that. Yeah, but he was launched by Letterman, ironically, and then they went up against each other, and he 
Letterman lost it tonight to him. But the fact that Jay couldn't replicate that for peers, not just me, but other peers, and there's you can't think of one person he really launched. Kim Did Bar- you ever, but here's a question I'm curious about. Did you ever pursue yes. yourself as a stand-up, On Leno himself, and say, did you ever actually go up to Jay? You knew uh, him, right? No, I didn't Did know you know him? him? Yeah, I, at times, yeah. I mean, it, <clears throat> Did you ever go up to him and say, hey, man, I'd love to be on the show. Uh, yeah, how, yeah, do, yeah. how do I get I on did. the show? Yeah, I did. He and said, he, I'll go through the process. Yeah, you know. Uh, um, Jack Cohn or someone or I whoever the Broken at one time. Yeah, it didn't. It just didn't happen. I think did. Jack was the head writer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But Brogan booked Jimmy. the comics for a while. Oh, it did. Okay. Yeah. And uh, then it became kind of a committee thing. And uh, Anyway, a point is. Yes. So there's a guy who's. He wanted to be the king, and he achieved that. And he owned his power. So I give him credit for that, for getting, uh, accessing that. But creatively, I think I've rem- I'm remarkably creative. A million ideas. I'm working, I just wrote something with somebody last week. Maybe a bad check. Pitch it out, yeah. <laughs> doesn't count. <laughs> bad if I write a check <laughs> with somebody. Uh, so some people need a partner. <laughs> need help, yeah. Can you sign this? Um, so... Well, let's I talk. Think it's about owning your power. So, how do you demonstrate that today? You know, how are you going to exercise that? What's going uh, to change if it's well, been I've lacking? Ri- I've written probably about four books about health and fitness and diet and weight loss and really all the emotional side of it, which has been my struggle, mm-hmm. my adult life. Is it an addiction for you, food? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, yeah. If have I you eat, ever if I eat the wrong stuff? I'm, I get triggered. Have you gone to like a 12-step group for that? Yeah, I have. Thanks really? for bringing my name in. <laughs> I didn't say, did I didn't say I've seen you at one. Yeah. I've never been at one, but I, yeah. I said, hold on. I didn't get, you know, you're going for the joke there. I, I just went asked to 12 you. 12 Steps Anonymous. That's how many meetings I was going to <laughs> a week. But nobody would sponsor me. I couldn't find anybody. Really? Yeah. It was, I was just alone. I was it. No one would sponsor you. No joke. Okay. Well, I don't know. Okay. Anyway, but the point is. I could see it happening. Um, I think there's a big issue with food in this country and the diet mentality. Terrible. Okay. Well, hold on a second. Yeah. I'm going to put a pin That's in that. What, hmm? I'm going to put a pin in that for just one second here. Yes. How are you going? You're a stand-up comic. Yeah. Okay. How am I going to merge that with? Yeah, because right now, suddenly the show has become very unfunny. <laughs> so how are you going to make well, weight loss? Me. I know, but I'm not trying to be. I'm uh, not going to make. How are you going to converge the two? When you say exercise your power, what does this mean? You're going to be, you're starting a whole new career uh, around yeah, weight it'll loss? Be a sort of and, like a sister career. Is okay, I, okay. so it's not about being funny. It's no, about... it's about heart. Okay. It's about heart. So this is something, uh, you, you have, you've written four books. Are they, uh, where can people get them? Are they available? No, I have to edit them and put them out. Okay, so that's but the power about, of getting them out there. That's the power <laughs> is, is owning my power and saying, hey, you deserve to get your voice and have it heard worldwide. Okay. Bingo. That's power. But how are you exercising that with your stand-up? I don't actually merge the two that much. I don't, well, I don't I'm, a, I'm not trying to be... I'm a little confused because I want to really fo- stay really laser-focused yeah. on what your message is. So yeah. you were saying that you're trying... You admired Leno for the power he had in... For owning his power? Right. Yes, I admire that. So Success, I'm, And you right. said that's something you're going to be exercising more of. Yes. And I'm asking... That's, that's my core issue. Okay. Is owning that. So what I'm curious about, and you might not have an answer right now because you might still be working on it. How do I do it. that? Yeah. How are you going to do that with your stand-up career? How are you, what Well, stand-up will be almost secondary. 
Part of, oh, okay. To my guru career. So you're you would like to put that power more into something else rather than your well, stand up. Yeah, I mean one one washes the other. If I do good things as a stand up, it's not going to hurt other right. areas. I didn't know if life. like you had some actual like I'm going, you know, I'm working on certain things within your stand up that would be an obvious demonstration of that power. But it sounds like your power is going to be demonstrated through the other thing. I I probably I think so. The diet type stuff. Yes. And that that might bolster your stand up in some way. Like yes. as a Okay. That's interesting. I mean, I think like, uh, you know, you've done 90, you said you did over 90 TV appearances. Yeah. Um, I mean, that, that's like, in, that in itself is pretty incredible. I would say, yeah, it's nice. I mean, you get, you know, they they don't, it's not 90 in a week and you go, oh my God, what a week that was. But over X amount of years, yeah, great right. for about I mean, 15 years or something. I'm just a little concerned. I mean, are you going to... Is that going to draw focus away from your stand-up if you're spending a lot of time with the weight loss stuff? Well, actually, almost every morning I get up and I write. It's like all of, at a certain point you go, hey, I've got to listen to this voice. It's popping out of me. Mm -hmm. I, I'm drawn to it. It feed, no pun intended, it feeds me. And I want, I want to, I can't just live in my shell anymore. I've got to share this with the world. And basically how it ties in with stand-up is to light, you've got to lighten up about lightening up. I used to be so hard on myself and so screwed up around food and if I ate something, the wrong thing, and beating myself up all the time. You know, 20, 25 years worth of this. And then I realized, how do I tie this into my personality? So you got to lighten up about lightening up. Otherwise, if you're heavy about lightening up, eventually you stay heavy, you get heavy again. Mm -hmm. That's how we are. And basically, the whole concept of diets in our world is so not working is it's not black and white like drugs or alcohol or sex addiction or gambling or certain types of shopping for people and things like that it's not black and white it's it's got to find a beautiful gray and you got to love yourself through it how much have you weighed at your heaviest i don't even i used to i hated weighing myself i so. mean 500 pounds no, no, no. Probably, you know, 230 or something now. And what do you uh, now? Probably 210 now. So you've never been, like, obese. I mean, no, 230 I, is it's not... it's a matter of being in shape and not in shape also. And it's really the, you know, you can feel a thousand pounds between your ears. Mm -hmm. you, could be, you could be, you know, what do you call an anorexic? You could be... Oh, those body disformed... Uh, yeah, yeah, I know. You could be, have the perfect weight. You could be at your goal weight and screwed up about food. I want to look back now... With these 90 TV appearances, I'm just curious, um, yeah. ever bomb on TV? Actually, I can't think of one time. You no. can or no? Can't. No. No, I can't. Because usually you know your act so well and you've been so kind of, uh, I forgot the word for it. A monkey. Um, You're a trained monkey. It's like on automatic. Do, have you been depressed? Uh, <laughs> I said it's not depressed. Have you been, uh, when you were about to do your set, do you ever blank out? Or yeah, it did. My third Tonight Show, I inverted a word or two in a French French routine, which you probably saw somewhere, maybe Reno when we worked Reno. Uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I flubbed a word or two, but the audience didn't know it. But that moment was like like a moment like on a TV movie where like it felt like an eternity, like in no. slow motion. Yes. In my head, I go, oh, my God, I can't believe I did it a thousand times. And here I am. I actually 
screwed something up, and nobody knew it. Were you nervous before the set? Yeah, I before my all the Tonight shows, I was pretty nervous, but I felt pretty good about what I was about to say. You know, so you're pretty calm based on that. You're, you know, what works. But there's the two guys that open the curtain on the Tonight Show, uh-huh. and I I go, hey, it's the executioners, <laughs> you know, and they laughed. You know, they understood. That's funny. Yeah, in my third Tonight Show, I was supposed to do panel with Johnny. And he ran along with oh. uh, Michael Chang, the tennis player. And I was like, all of a sudden, you're you're backstage and you're about to go on. And they go, no panel. So you got to deal with that. Have you done that ever? Did you do panel with him? I did panel with uh, Letterman. How many times did you do Carson? Uh, three, and they repeated all three. I did, uh, actually did kind of a ballsy thing on Letterman, on Carson. Here's a great little Carson story. You want to hear a, a Carson story? Sure. Uh, when I started, uh, he was the goal for every comic. And everybody always asked you, did you do Johnny? You do Johnny? And I go, no, nah, I haven't done Johnny. You're, you're Johnny's kind of comedian. You do. I did a million comedy clubs, eight shows a week around the country during the whole comedy boom. You're Johnny's kind of comedian. You do Johnny? You're Johnny's kind of comedian. Then I would audition for the Tonight Show, and Jim McCauley, the booker, he'd go, I don't think you're Johnny's kind of comedian. But I killed. I did great. And everybody always tells me, you're Johnny's kind of comedian. I don't think you're Johnny. And I did it like a dozen times. But meantime, I'm always working the road. You do Johnny? No. You're Johnny's kind of comedian. So finally, like a dozen auditions, and he finally goes, yeah, you know, you got it. You did the Tonight Show. And I did my, my chin material, which I just <laughs> killed. Yeah about having a weak chin and that talk about, uh, you know. Actually. Yeah. Like, let me give a. We actually have that tape. Oh, let me just tell you what okay, happened. Okay, go right? ahead. Yeah. So ahead. for momentum's sake, I should finish this story. Go for it. For I sure. killed. I, I did great. And Macaulay goes, you got to meet Johnny. You know, now <laughs> it's if everything's upside down. If left and I'm, I'm You're a hero. best friend and everything. <laughs> and I make him look great and I'm his hero and. You got to meet Johnny. So after the show, we're in a spot where he knows Johnny's going to walk. And I'm standing there with Macaulay. He goes, Johnny Carson, Steve Middleman. And Carson doesn't miss a beat. Looks me in the eye and goes, you are my kind of comedian. Isn't that nice payoff? Huh? That is amazing. After all that, you got to meet, you know, you're not Johnny's kind of comedian. You're my kind of comedian. I always knew. Yeah. Anyway, and that, so I got to live it out. That was my dream. I did mm-hmm. it a few times. They repeated them, which was great. Does the does the nut in you start to go? Why did they call me a fourth time? Like, do you go there? Oh well, he was ra- kind of wrapping up his time. Okay, it was towards and the end of the run. Also, the what happened was a million comics were trying to vie. For, if they had, I don't know how many comics on per week or month. Imagine how many people desperately trying to fill those spots. How many minutes were you doing? Back then, because uh, five, I think I mean, it's a decent amount of time. They weren't; they don't give you that kind of time. It seems now. It doesn't I think seem five. like it. Is well, it still I lived? The guys on Letterman do are still doing five. Good. So you have something on to play here. Um, you know what? Why don't we do that? Let's go ahead. This is uh, Steve's bit around now, and then we're going to lead into the fact that your chin's changed since then. Oh, Let's wait. hear this this bit here. That was a classic Steve Middleman bit. Well, you may have noticed I have no chin. <laughs>
It's affected me my whole life. I grew a beard once. I looked like a guy with a beard who had no chin. It's like a fur tongue. I flunked gym in high school. The teacher said, do 10 shows. I said, with what? Even as a kid, learning how to play the violin, a stick in my mouth. Tell me, tell me a little bit about the, the you're smiling and it's funny stuff. What, what's the memories? What are the memories when oh, you hear that? It was like being awashed with laughs every time I did that routine. Mm -hmm. they, well, people got it. So I looked at the video and you guys at, uh, listening, if you want to Google or YouTube, Steve, just go to Steve Middleman, M-I-T-T-L-E-M-A-N. There's about a dozen tapes on but there. But this particular the big one laugh, the big laugh off. is the big laugh. Is it L-A-F-F? Yeah. That's so much funnier than the normal spelling. So... You look at this thing, and Steve, he looks like, you know how Woody Allen looked weird and funny? Just you look at him and you laugh and smile. That's kind of how Steve looked. Like he, you had this funky eye that you can't really tell, but, you know, was there. And then you had... business, lazy eye. Okay, lazy... You know, and, if I talk to the audience, yeah, right, I'd ask them a question, they'll, they would answer me over here. <laughs> Amazing. And you had um, this no chin... And it yes. was like, you, it was a very, you had a funny, odd kind of character -y look. That's right. Yeah, like, I grew it. Like I with this guy, it. Joe Settle. Settle Settlemeyer. He was, was known Patrick for. Kelly, yeah. Well, so, Joe, from, I think he's from Chicago, but yeah. he was known for casting oddball looking people. Yeah, and I was perfect for and, a long time. And that's why you were booking probably a lot because you had that fun character -y yes. thing. You don't forget the commercial. That's correct. So why did you get rid of that? That, well, no, I outgrew it. Before having an extreme makeover on ABC, I already had outgrown it. What do you, you know? mean by outgrowing? You still have the lazy eye and you still had no chin. What did you outgrow? Um, you just internally, the feeling about myself, I was tired of doing all the self-deprecating stuff. It was hurting your own self-esteem? No, no. You just don't want to be tired of what you're doing up there. Even if it's working? You're winning competitions? Well, we're talking 1980 and now... 2004. So you know, did you feel your career five. had kind of plateaued? And, and I would say so, yeah. kind of ridden that, put that I in the ground kind of? Yeah, but I could still, if I could do it, I could, if I set it upright and gave it a context, like, hey, I was on, I had a makeover on TV and I had a really weak chin. How weak? It took me three to four hours to change a pillowcase. You know, right, that was right. weak. So you, I could still do it if I like. Once in a blue moon, I do it. Right, okay. Because, you know, but I can't do a lot of other stuff. Right, so you ended up going on Extreme Makeover. Yes, on ABC. And they offered to do, redo your whole face. Yeah. <laughs> How's that feel? Yeah. Like, you're perfect. You know, something <laughs> funny, when, I, when everything was over, my son, they let him come backstage before I was kind of introduced to the world. And you have such a good-looking son. Yeah, I it's know, funny. I know. Uh, yeah, now I look like his real dad. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Uh, so yeah. he comes backstage and he's uh, nine years ago, I guess he was like eight years old. And, you know, we hugged and he goes, nothing's really changed except your face. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I had like, I, had like, I don't know, $100,000 worth of surgeries and everything. Okay. Facelift, chin, nose, as I like to say, trim, trim from orthodox to conservative. <laughs> 
Okay, so I do the show. The next morning, I'm flying out to do a corporate gig. Okay? I'm on the plane. Everybody's recognized me. Like 20 people, the flight attendant go, Oh, I saw you on the show last night. Congratulations. Good for you. Walking down the aisle. Congrats, congrats. You get to take my seat. Congrats. Okay, we take off. The flight attendant comes for a drink order. Uh, she goes, Oh, hey, congratulations. Good for you. The woman next to me, she knows nothing. And uh, she puts down her magazine. She goes, hey, what's all this congratulations about? And I said, well, I just got a extreme makeover. <laughs> and I swear to you, she looks me up and down and goes, fabulous. When do you start? <laughs> Isn't that classic? I'm telling That's you, great. true. Very true. That's a great story. Yeah. I want to imagine for a moment, um, you've got your 20-some-year-old Steve is in the room. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to cry. And now, you know, some years have passed. You've had some incredible highs. I assume you've had some lows. Mm -hmm. You're still in mid-stride. I mean, it's not like, you know, you're, there's still plenty to go and you're constantly out there on the road and you're constantly working. Mm -hmm. It's not as if the career is over. It's still no. moving strong. Sure. What do you tell the 20-year-old or 23-year-old or that you've learned as who you are today that you wish you knew then? Oh, power go for it. You're just as valid as all your buddies, all your peers. Ask for yourself. Don't deny yourself. But it didn't appear you were. You, you, you oh, were no, on Carson. I, I you did. were on... How? I, I was like this polite, reserved, insecure ex-Canadian. <laughs> uh, you know, like they're supposed to be polite. Uh, but I was born in Montreal. That's why I said that. Oh, okay. Uh, raised in New York. You so, feel that you let other comics walk all over you? No, no. I'm just saying, asking, you know, for uh, being kind of relentless about, I need great managers. I need to get my tapes out. I need to be seen. Are you doing that now? No. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't have that hunger. Like if okay. I just, if I, You're a different if stage I do corporate of... gigs and I make a living and I do some Jewish gigs and I do private parties like a 50th birthday or a 40th wedding anniversary, I do a lot of those kind of things. I'm, I, I like it. I like it a lot. I do a roast a certain once in a while. I do auctions now and then. You don't care about being on Fallon or oh no, I'd like or Kimmel or uh, I'd like to. I like to at my books. I'd like to be the comedian who's the weight loss guru. That'd be fine. Merge mm -hmm. the two. Okay, I'm telling you, I've written volumes and volumes on exactly, yeah, you know, be, becoming saner about this stuff. Well, it, I'm not perfect by any means. It's really interesting because I'm imagining like. If I, with perhaps my own character defects and, and as they say, there's a Yiddish word, mishigas, mm -hmm. that if I had this peer group back then and then they, so many of them had achieved what some would consider mega success just by the dollars. Yes. And while, you know, you've had many successes, mm -hmm. you know, and it's just like, I don't know how I would not have some kind of I don't know, like how, like jealousy, you, yeah, and resent. But you, you are so accepting, and you have so much gratitude. It's a wonder. It's a great thing, and I, I like that, and I try to have gratitude, and I, and I generally do. I just, you know, it's, an, it's, it's really. There's a serenity about you that's really nice. Well, listen, uh, I auditioned for America's Got Talent uh, a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago. Uh -huh. I'd like to do that show. I'd like to win that show. I'd, I'd move to Vegas. You could win. I'd, that. I, I could win that. Easily, I feel like I win that. And, um, you know, would I like the acclaim? 
would I like people to go, hey, yeah, you are great, pat me on the head, etc. Yeah, it would be nice. Could it be a vehicle for also launching my weight loss cause? Uh, that would be great. Uh, so, yeah, would I like it? Yeah, I would. But it's gravy. I got to know. I've got to know who I am in the world. I love my son. I got a girlfriend I love. I got friends I love. I'm loved. And everything else is gravy. It's fun. It's got to be fun. It's a fun ride. We're here. We're so grateful. Look at humanity and the history of humanity and where we live and how much of an easier life we've had versus a lot of what the history that we know in the world. We're very, very fortunate. Yeah, that's that's really great. That's really I well have some said. perspective, I think. So, yeah. And I'm sure that helps. Yeah. And also, I'm, uh, you know, uh, you could tell by the way I talk, if I listen to me talk, I'd go, boy, that guy does a lot of thinking. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I, I think about the world we're in and I have perspective and I see the irony in things. There's irony in I, I didn't make this mega thing. You know, it's never too late, I think. Uh, but again, I know who I am also. I can't get caught up in status exactly where I'm at. What I like, money uh, money equates options. Options equate freedom. So money equates freedom. And that's a nice thing to have. Uh, do I have the, as much money as I'd like? Do I have as much freedom? I have an awful lot of freedom uh, because I get to do what I want to do. And I have a lot of free time. So that's all nice. And again, I'm grateful. That's all. What, what else can I add to that? Nothing. Yeah. I think it's really... And uh, I'm glad to be here. I'm I'm just thrilled that, uh, I, that we're friends. Yeah, me know? too. And, and I'm so happy to see you today. Really. Yeah, me too. I, I yeah. just was really excited um, to have, you know, that when you said you could do the show. And I was, we had dinner before sure. this, which was fantastic. And if people want to find out your schedule, like as far as where you'll be performing, or if they want to hire you, how do they find you? Steve Middleman at AOL.com, M-I-T-T-L-E-M-A-N at AOL.com. Steve Middleman.com is my, you know, M-I-T-T again. And Steve Middleman uh, on YouTube. You'll see a dozen tapes, corporate gigs, private parties, Jewish gigs. Some Christian act, gigs. Some acting gigs. Yeah, actually Buddhist I did gigs. a church recently for 480, uh, some church in uh, San Jose. It was Valentine's Day show. Talk about a clean gig. <laughs> well, listen, to be clean. we are all out of time, Steve. Thanks again. I really appreciate it. And thank all of yeah. you for uh, listening. And please uh, subscribe to iTunes, uh, the show, if you yeah. haven't. And I want to thank all the callers for calling. Yes, today. they were quick, brief, Amazing. fast. No, we didn't take calls today. There's just too much to talk about, Steve. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Well, thank all of you again. And uh, we'll see you next time right here on Vic Cohen's It's a Fair Question. I'm Vic Cohen, and it's a fair question. It's a fair question. It's a fair question. I'm Vic Cohen, and it's a fair question. It's a fair, it's a fair, it's a fair, it's a fair question. I'm Vic Cohen, and it's a fair, it's a fair, it's a fair, it's a fair quest, 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 and...